Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are talking draft, all draft on today's episode as Tim Bielek, our Cleveland.com draft expert, joins us to preview who the Browns could take at 44, 78, 99. He runs through his entire mock draft, his most recent seven-round mock draft, gives us some reasoning, and then we throw some names at him, uh, some scenarios, and he walks us through what to expect this weekend with the Browns and the NFL draft. Now, Uh, If you are a Football Insider subscriber, you are very familiar with Tim's work because he writes some of the newsletters that we send out to our subscribers. And if you want to get involved with getting that newsletter, becoming a tech subscriber, and of course, getting access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, like Tim's mock drafts and best available players as we go through draft weekend, all of that stuff, you got to go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get info and get signed up. Okay, let's talk draft here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Tim Bielek is joining us. And Tim, before we uh, really get going here, why don't you run us through your seven-round mock that, uh, that you recently posted? Tell, tell us what you have the Browns doing with their picks. Well, let's start with the second round. And uh, this goes along with something I think you guys have kind of talked about for a little bit is if the Browns want to go get one of these top receivers, you know, outside of the four first round locks uh, with Drake London, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, they might have to trade up. So I have them moving up seven spots, uh, flipping picks with the Texans, sending 44, 78 and a 2023 fifth to Houston for 37, 80 and 183. And with that pick, 37th overall, I have them going Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. I know he's he's a slightly small receiver, 5'10", 178 pounds, but basically every time you watch Penn State, he flashes and he always he does something impressive. 91 catches, almost 1,200 yards last season, 12 touchdowns. And this is for a Penn State team that had inconsistency at quarterback, you know, and he's, the, he's clearly the guy on that offense and he still put up tremendous – yards and obviously scored i think he's a guy that's got plays better than his size and when i'm looking at these receivers i think you know some of them are going to slide i think dotson could certainly slide a little bit just because of size questions i think that's where um some of these that's where he could probably slide more versus a, a guy like george pickens who could certainly rise because he's got more prototypical number one or number two size so next up i got them making a trade down so they slide down three spots to to philadelphia pick up pick 166 ship out 246 and also pick up a 2023 fifth that they traded away from the texans 
And with that second pick, I had them going with D'Angelo Malone, the edge rusher from Western Kentucky. Um, more of a smaller edge rusher, similar in size-wise to Oklahoma's Nick Benito. Um, had really good production for Western Kentucky last season, eight sacks, 17 and a half tackles for a loss. Very agile, a three-cone time of 7.06 seconds. Very athletic guy. He's, he's productive, which, as we know, Andrew Barry values production in addition to athletic ability. Even though he's typically not gone for group of five prospects, I think he's only taken two guys outside of Power Five schools in two seasons as his general manager. So he's my guy there. Then and pick 99, I got going for a tight end in Ohio State's Jeremy Ruckert, 6'5, 252. You know, Ohio State really hasn't had much production out of tight ends in about the last decade or probably even 20 years or so. But when you look at Jeremy Ruckert, all that aside, if you want to get an idea of how good he is, watch the 2020 Sugar Bowl against Clemson. He was sensational in that game. He was he was a big difference maker and a reason why Ohio State got out to that big halftime lead. He's also pretty good hands. If you watch the 2019 Big Ten title game against Wisconsin, had a one-handed touchdown catch. He also had another one-hander in the title game a year ago against Alabama. There's plenty of good receiving tools I like in Jeremy Ruckert's toolbox. Day three, I got pick 118. Baylor safety, JT Woods. Now, I know safety may not seem like a need now, especially after they just re-signed Ronnie Harrison Jr., but maybe in a year when he's a free agent, you might want to have competition with Richard LeCount for that position. And I look at JT Woods. This guy is incredibly fast. The 4-3-6-40, he can make up ground, and he just is able to take the football away. Six interceptions last season for a Baylor team that won the Big 12, in part because it had a phenomenal defense. Probably needs to gain a little weight, but, you know, that's something that most of these guys are going to have to do past uh, day two or day th- past round two, round three, add on a few pounds. That's part of just, you know, going from your early 20s to your mid 20s. Round pick, round five, pick 166, a pick that might make Doug Maurice happy. Uh, Cade York, the kicker from LSU. Um, big leg, probably, certainly the best kicker in this draft. I don't know if he gets past round five, at least to me. I mean, if you, El- LSU has had problems since Joe Burrow left, but Cade York has not been one of them. He's got a booming leg. The signature moment to me for York is in 2020, LSU goes into the swamp and Cade York kicks, a, I think it was a 57-yard field goal in the fog to beat Florida. And that was, of course, famously the game where Marco Wilson threw the shoe, that 15-yard penalty that kind of helped LSU get to that win. So that was that, to me, is Cade York's signature moment. Then I got some depth pieces in the sixth round. Cade Mays, an interior lineman from Tennessee, going at 183. He's going to be an older player, 23. In fact, Andrew Barry is not taking a player older than 22 on, that, on draft day who is older than 22. They may have been 23 in training camp. But on draft day, they were always 22 or younger. He might have to break that trend this year, but I like Mays' pro-ready size. He started four different positions. And at 202, I got them going line again, this time on the defensive line. Christopher Hinton, the defensive tackle of Michigan, um, I maybe came out a year too early, was part of, a, obviously, a Michigan defensive front that was very, very good. Uh, he's, he's a run stuffer, 305 pounds. He's got a good frame, maybe not as explosive as you'd like at the position. But, you know, a guy that you who can kind of hold his ground and maybe you can develop a little more behind him and then – Last pick, 223, seventh round. 
I've got Jerry and Ely, a former five-star running back from Ole Miss. And this was a pick I had originally in my seven, first seven-round mock way back in March. And part of the reason I, want, I took, this, took him is because you've got Kareem Hunt in an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Um, they're going to have to make some, obviously have to make some cap decisions, even though the cap's going to skyrocket. When I look at Jerry Neely, he's a smaller back, only 5'8", 189 pounds, but he's explosive. And when you watch his highlights, he wastes no time getting up the field. He, he gets the ball and he just goes straight up the field. He's got also got some ability to return kicks, so there's some versatility in there. And I think, you know, when you're looking at these later on picks, you're looking for guys who can at least contribute a little something with maybe the potential to add a little more down the road. Okay, well, let me first say that I really, really like your draft here, Tim. Uh, you know, we've been doing a couple mock drafts here and there and uh, ourselves. And I, I think I had uh, Jahan Dotson in one of mine. I had D'Angelo Malone in one of mine because he reminded me somewhat of what they got out of Attack McKinley. So let's circle back, uh, if you will, to your first pick, uh, Jahan Dotson, and just tell us why Jahan Dotson over... I mean, you know, we've we've had a lot of talk about George Pickens and Sky Moore and some of the other guys that you might be able to get there. So why Jahan and why there? Well, first, I kind of feel like uh, George Pickens might not be there. I, I think there's been a lot of buzz, you know, the last couple of weeks about Pickens. He could sneak into the first round. And if if that's true, then you're kind of deciding between Dotson and Moore. And I kind of like. I mean, both are very good receivers. I think both are going to be very effective in the NFL. They play similar styles because both are smaller, faster receivers. But Dotson's got it done against better competition. Obviously, there's a big jump up from what you get in the Big Ten versus the MAC. Now, there have been very good receivers to come out of the MAC, particularly guys like Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson, Julian Edelman, among others, that have come out of that conference. So you can find good receivers in the MAC. But again, Dotson is a guy that he just flashes every time you watch him. He's a small receiver, so he can create separation. He can get down the field. He's, he presents a dynamic element that I think this Browns receiving core kind of needs to add at a number two position. I know you have a very technical separator in Amari Cooper who's got a little more speed than people realize. You got Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz who are more kind of complimentary three, four guys maybe um, down the road. But I look at Dotson. And again, I mentioned, you know, Penn State had some inconsistency at quarterback, Sean Clifford, you know, he had some ups and downs throughout the year. But in spite of all that, regardless of who was in a quarterback, Jahan Dotson was effective and he was sensational. And like I said, he's he's got more acrobatics than you think at 5'10". He can go up there and get the football. So got a little extra bonus catch radius on top of that frame. So, you know, Dotson is one of those guys, and, and there's another guy I'm, I'm going to ask you about, too, um, a little later. He just feels like a Browns player at receiver. He feels like when, when you watch him, when, when you kind of dig into it, he feels like a guy that Browns would just really like. Who are the other guys that you think could be there? Maybe it's Sky Moore and, and maybe some other guys that if the Browns do look to trade up, and Mary Kay and I have both said that that's something we would certainly endorse them doing to get a receiver. Who are – could a Traylon Burks fall – into the thirties. Is he going to be gone on Thursday night? Who else could be there? Uh, if it's not Jahan Dotson. Well, I mean, that's the interesting question because I think any of Burks Pickens Moore, and Dotson could be, they could all go in the first round or any of them could fall out of day one for different reasons. I think Bur trail and Burks, I, this was a guy who way back in the process, way back in February or whatever, I thought could have been an option at 13 because I've called it, I've turned him as a walking mismatch because he's too big for corners, too fast for most linebackers and safeties. Um, 
agility wise though, obviously did not test well in short shuttle three cone did not look real good at doing that uh, throughout the athletic testing. So maybe that's why he slides with Pickens. I th- he's coming off an ACL injury that he had way back in the spring of last year. Wasn't in- as productive as you would expect. And then Sky Moore and Jahan Dotson have size questions. And I mean, I look at, you know, who could, who's drafting kind of the end of the first round, the chiefs need a receiver, the Packers need a receiver. So really all four of those guys kind of fit what those teams might be looking for. The chiefs could be looking for a speed guy, maybe to replace some of what they lost by trading Tyreek Hill to the dolphins and the Packers. I think this, to me, this has to be the year they take a receiver and who knows where they could go. They could go for the big guys and Burks or Pickens or the smaller guys and Moore and Dotson. So I mean, I think it's just a matter of kind of who a team likes at that particular time. But considering where the Browns are in this draft, if they want one of those guys, they're going to have to jump up and get them, I think, because if unless one of them has a Greg Newsome, JOK-style slide to 44, where Andrew Berry doesn't have to make any moves and may not have to sacrifice any future picks to do so. Now, a little bit of, of negative info has come out on George Pickens just in the last couple of days. So my question actually to both of you guys is, uh, does it change anything about how you feel about George Pickens or is this some of that pre-draft, you know, silliness that goes on where all of a sudden uh, you hear about a really good player sliding or tumbling uh, at the last minute. So what do you guys think of George? Go ahead, Tim. Well, I I mean, I like Pickens as the player, obviously. I think you know, he looks the part of, you know, the perimeter receiver, 6'3", almost 200 pounds. I agree. The character concerns, you know, they are they do are interesting because as we've heard Andrew Berry talk, you know, character is important. The term capacity to learn has always been there. So it's clear he's looking for players and, you know, maybe are just good locker room guys. And, you know, I, I haven't looked as deeply into Pickens, like background or suspensions, whatever. I don't think there was really anything like that. I think it's just kind of maturity things that, you know, he's a young man. He's, he's only a junior. So there's certainly room for him to grow. And it's it's going to depend on if a team feels the locker room is comfortable enough to take one of those guys. And certainly the Browns, you know, they've got some veterans in that building, in that in that receiver room and all across the team that you got you get a guy in there. And if you if you feel comfortable with the chemistry of your team and all those things, he's a guy you bank. He's a guy you're more comfortable to take. But the talent, no question, still there to me. So just so just so people out there can kind of know what we're referencing, uh, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic did his draft confidential. And his, the question he asked to uh, the people he was talking to were, which wide receiver is the most boom or bust guy? And there's a scout, a wide a scout and two wide receiver coaches who pick George Pickens. The scout says there's a lot of upside, but he can't get out of his own way. He's been enabled his whole life. The wide receiver, one of the wide receiver coaches says, you love his game, but there's some issues. Do you want to work with him? He's a top six talent wise, but it's impossible not to add those other things. He has the size, you know, a lot of good things here. And then he says a lot of stuff in the Todd Munkin system translates to the NFL, but I wouldn't touch him. Um, And then the, the other wide receiver coach says on tape, he's probably a top five wide receiver, but there's just so many red flags and they're big red flags. He's got a lot of growing up to do. There's this maturity issues you were talking about, Tim. If he goes to the right place with a room full of veterans that help him go the right way, I think he'll have a chance. So those are a little concerning things to hear. And the Browns don't exactly have a room full of veterans at the moment. Maybe that changes. But as of right now, they have Amari Cooper 
and a lot of young guys um, in that wide receiver room. So you, you'd be, look, he'd be going into a room with Chad O'Shea, who's a great wide receivers coach. I think he's a good physical receiver that they like. You've got to be able to block if you're going to play for Chad O'Shea. It's been that way since he was in New England. Um, I'm a little freaked out by that. If there's other guys available, I don't know that you need George Pickens. And I think that's the difference, right? Like if it's Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore, if Burks were to fall, whatever. And Tim, I, I think you're right that there's going to be a lot of teams that need receivers before the Browns get their chance. You know, I, I would take the less risky prospect at 44. I don't think you need, you're not like desperate for George Pickens, especially if there's other good receivers on the board. You know what, Dan, I agree with you there because uh, it seems to me that now they are having an opportunity to really put their stamp on this football team and they are bringing in more guys like the Amari Coopers uh, that have that, you know, sort of quiet confidence about them are not going to give you too much trouble off the field and are just going to be, you know, team guys that love ball and are really good leaders. And if you had two guys that you had ranked equally and one of them had a bunch of red flags in the character department. They're going for the other guy. That's just how I feel about this regime right now. Yeah. And I mean, at 44, it's balancing risk reward. I mean, if it's a late, if you're talking like a fifth or a sixth, where the odds of a of that pick hitting aren't exactly as high, maybe you're more willing to take those swings knowing that if it doesn't work, you can just kind of let go and it's not that much of a loss. So it it's just about, you know, asset management and value management for what's at the position. So let's talk about some of the defensive linemen that have sort of been in that range. When you look at mock drafts, um, there's some defensive tackles that have been associated with the Browns. And the guy that, I guess the guy that has surprised me the most, we've talked about him a little bit here, is Travis Jones from UConn. Now, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this, so help me out. I see him more as a nose tackle, right? Is he more of that traditional nose tackle type of, of defensive tackle? Can he play? I know he did, did play a little three technique at UConn. Well, what is he in the NFL, though? I think day one, he's kind of more of that nose tackle guy. I mean, he's got that build, like 6'4", 325 pounds. He's, he's definitely that plugger in the middle who you have eating blocks, you know, not trying to clog up the middle and free the space for everybody behind him. But I think what kind of separates him from some of the other guys in that position who have similar builds outside of Jordan Davis from Georgia is I think there's a little pass rush upside to Travis Jones game. I mean, he's got pretty good agility, pretty good speed. So it tells me over time, maybe he can develop into more of a three down defensive tackle right now. I think he's a, he's a run stopping defensive tackle, which is fine. I mean, because defensive tackle is certainly a hard position to grow into in the NFL, but if you're strictly looking for a guy right now who's going to clog the middle, Travis Jones is a pretty good bet to do that. Uh, you know, I think all of us have really fought a lot in terms of wide receiver and defensive lineman, whether that be a defensive end or maybe even a defensive tackle uh, in the earlier rounds of this draft. And I like what you have here. I really like that you have Dotson and then you come back with Malone. That's a good combo for me. If they did that, I would walk away from that draft thinking this, that's pretty cool. But what if they switched it up? What if they decided to go defensive end first and then come back and try to get their wide receiver with the next pick? What combo would you go if it's that order? Well, if, if I were to go for defensive end first, I think my pick would be a uh, USC's Drake Jackson. This is a guy who, you know, 
he's a younger guy. I've mentioned age is kind of is important for the Browns, and he's certainly got a pretty f- cool, interesting build for the position. Uh, 275 pounds, about 270 some pounds. He's a guy who, you know, he was very productive in his first season at USC with a scheme change, though. He, and I'll, I'll preface all this by saying as a freshman, he played about 275 pounds, five and a half sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss. He was a freshman All-American. Next two seasons at USC, um, different scheme chain, different scheme required him to switch positions. I think he dropped, had to drop about 20 pounds and his production kind of took a hit there. Only seven and a half sacks and seven sacks in his last two seasons. But it is pro day. He actually showed up about to weighing at about 273 pounds, which I think is probably his better weight. And he still posted very good agility numbers. And the number one thing I hear about Drake Jackson, he is flexible off the edge. I mean, he's got bend, which matters at the position. I think, you know, he's a very, especially if the Browns bring Jadavian Clowney back, I think he's a very, to be a very good number three kind of grow into it and get used to playing at, you know, in the two seventies where I think he's going to be at his best. And then receiver is going to be tricky because I think there is a decent drop off after, you know, those four guys that I talked about, maybe it's maybe a John Mechie from Alabama slides down that far. Maybe you have to trade up to get him. And he's a guy I like, and I, the comparison I've had for John Mechie is like, if Jarvis Landry was just a little faster and I don't know if he could be anywhere near what Jarvis Landry is. I think that'd be a pretty good fit. I think he might go a little earlier. Alec Pierce from Cincinnati stands out as a big, you know, six, three guy who can really stretch the field and be kind of a red zone threat in the process. I'm part of me as much, and as much as this, this third guy really struggled the combine, I still kind of have a soft spot for David Bell of Purdue. And I know he really did not test very well. I mean, 4.65, 40 at the combine. It was even worse at his pro day, but watch him against Iowa. Iowa could not cover David Bell. I mean, he, he did so many tremendous things. He was dominant and he was the big reason Purdue pulled off that upset. He's got good size at about six foot two, at six foot, excuse me, 212 pounds, pretty good size. If you're, I'm more interested, you know, with some of these players, what they can do. And I think he's got pretty good size. And if they can, if it was just a case of maybe he's just not a tester, maybe he's just faster on the field. He's an interesting guy to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. So you mentioned two names actually in, in that group that, that have been brought up on this pod. The, the name that I kind of teased earlier was John Mechie, right? This was a guy that to me, you know, at the combine, um, I was assigned to transcribe him for, for the PFWA and, so I stood there and listened to him and the guy sounded like a Cleveland Brown and he checks a lot of boxes. I mean, you mentioned the Jarvis Landry comparison, which is interesting, a faster uh, Jarvis Landry. Uh, Mary Kay was talking about Alec Pierce uh, last week as well. It, I, I guess. So you think Mechie's gone before 78? You think they'd have to maybe move up to get him? Potentially. Yeah. Or even if they trade down from 44, say if there's like seven guys they like or whatever, or those top receivers are gone, but they kind of can't decide. Maybe he's a fifties or sixties guy. I think if he doesn't tear his ACL, like he did in December, he could, he could naturally be in that 44 range, I think. Okay. And then Mary Kay, Alec Pierce was a guy that you, I, I know liked. Yeah. What do you think of, of Alec Pierce? I thought I went with, if I went with the defensive end at, at number 44, I came back with Alec Pierce at number 78. 
That would be a good pick. I'm a big Alec Pierce guy. I mean, size speed combination is really good. 6'3, 211, 40 and a half inch vertical, which is also impressive. So it's more than just speed. He can get up there. And I think with this, with Deshaun Watson and, you know, watching his highlights for a while, the one thing you want to have is field stretchers. And I think Pierce brings a unique field stretching element. He may not be as agile as you like at a receiver. Separation could be a question, but with a guy like Watson, his mobility, how he throws guys open, I think that's where your quarterback helps create that separation. And when you have a guy who's toolsy like Pierce, who really was a big, big part of that Cincinnati passing game last season for Desmond Ritter, 854, sorry, 884 yards, eight touchdowns. Um, He's a big play guy. He had a couple big catches in that second half of the American Athletic Championship game against Houston when they really just ran away with that game in the third quarter. He was a big reason why. He'd be a fun fit. I think maybe he still needs a little work to do in terms of separation, but that's where got, working with a guy like Amari Cooper helps out in that department. Mm-hmm. Mary Kay, you were going to ask something there before I, I brought up Alec. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I was going to uh, – I wanted, I really want to talk about the kicker. I want to talk about the kicker. I'm happy that you put the kicker in your mock draft. They have to get Cade York. And I did talk to somebody over the weekend uh, that told me that the Browns sent a very significant member of the organization to LSU. I put this in my, uh, my takeaways on Sunday, that they sent a significant member of the organization to go to LSU to talk to Cade York. I didn't put in who it was yet because I haven't gotten it confirmed and I don't want to get that wrong. Um, But I definitely think that they're very, very interested in him. My question is, and I think they need to do it. My question is how high would you go for Cade York? Because Evan McPherson made it cool to draft a kicker and to draft a kicker, you know, like go get him. And so I don't know if he's still going to be around here where you have him at number 166. How high might you have to go to get Cade York and would you do it? I think it might be fourth round. I mean, honestly, and maybe it's 118 and maybe they have to pull the trigger on that. But I think considering his leg and considering the kickers in the AFC have to go against to go to the Super Bowl. We're talking Justin Tucker. We're talking Evan McPherson. We're talking Harrison Butker. I'm sure I'm missing a couple in there. Daniel Carson and the Raiders. I just remember that, but York's got the leg. I just mentioned that he's um, about 15 of 19 from 50 yards or longer. I mentioned the 57 yarder in Florida. He didn't just hit a 57 yarder in the swamp in Florida. He did it in the fog. It was hard for ESPN to watch. I think the entire final driver. So they had that from, they had the only way they could show that was from the sky cam and I mean, it's one thing to hit a 50 plus yarder, but to do it in a fog in a difficult environment like that is pretty impressive. He's got an incredibly strong leg. And I know the Browns have obviously upgraded that passing game, but I've talked before and anybody who's read my bold predictions in the football insider newsletters, I've said before that, you know, a team like Baltimore, as soon as they cross the 50, they're in field goal range. If the Browns can have a kicker that's anywhere close to that, where they cross the 40 and they're in, they get to the 40 and they're in field goal range, all of a sudden that that improves your offense that, you know, increases the margin for error that even if you don't get a touchdown, you can still trust your kicker is going to be able to kick a really long field goal. And if they can get anything close to what Phil Dawson provided for so long in the, the beginning days of the expansion Browns, that would carry them a long way considering they have all the, they would have all the other pieces around the kicker this time. 
That's why call me crazy. I would take him at number 99. It was, it was your extra little uh, pick that you got uh, in the, it's your comp pick that you got from Quazy. I know that's high, but what difference does it make if you, if it's a matter of getting him or not getting him, you could do much worse in the third round than having a kicker like that, that in these incredibly close games that you are going to be playing in all the way, maybe right up to the finish and maybe even in the Super Bowl, uh, to have a guy that you know can get that job done for you and kick a 57-yard game winner in the fog. I would do it, and I would do it at number 99. Well, we have seen kickers go higher. I mean, Sebastian Janikowski was a first-round pick way back in the day. I'm not saying Cade York's going to be a first-rounder or even that he's going to go as high as uh, – when the Buccaneers took, took Roberto Aguayo. I know that obviously failed miserably for, for Tampa Bay, but you might not be far off. I think he's, he's got the leg teams covered, and I'm sure the Browns, like, like many other teams like the Browns, saw what Evan McPherson's impact meant for that Bengals team. I mean, he won those last two playoff games for them on walk-off field goals. Well, I think we all need to take a break after that one. Mary Kay picking a kicker at 99 and we're going to be doing a, a draft war room pod. So now, now it just got that much more interesting uh, with that little bit of information uh, here on this pod. So we are going to take a break and then we'll be back uh, to wrap up a little bit of a draft preview with Tim Bielek on the orange and Brown talk podcast. And we are back on the orange and Brown talk podcast, Tim. Uh, we, we mentioned some linemen earlier Nick Benito is an interesting guy if the Browns go edge rusher. Um, guys from Oklahoma are tough to figure out. Played a lot standing up, kind of a speed guy. Uh, you know, there were times when I when I would kind of watch some clips of him, and again, like I'm just watching YouTube clips here, so I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something, but it seemed like he would maybe get swallowed up a little bit. What, what kind of player is he? Where does he fit? Can he be – can he come in and be the number two edge rusher on day one? Or is he a guy that's, that's kind of more of that tack McKinley kind of extra edge rusher from the start? I think right away, he'd be more of your kind of pass rush specialist. The guy you bring in on third down, you know, if you kick miles Garrett, or again, if you bring Jadavian Clowney back, he kick one of them inside and you bring Benito outside body wise. I mean, again, he's not a big guy. Like you said, six, three, 248 pounds. I mean, guys like Elmas Doomerville have showed us in the past that smaller, edge rushers can be successful in the NFL. And I, I'm looking at his numbers of four, five, four, 40, 10 inch broad, 10 foot broad jump, 7.04, three cone. That's a, there's explosiveness. There's agility. There's speed in there for Nick Benito. I think it comes down to, again, you know, he might not get any bigger than about 248 pounds, but if he can make up for that with, you know, getting around, you know, blockers kind of being able to have an array of moves, and just find, just be able not to be blocked where you can use your quickness to your advantage versus, you know, being a, a power guy who's just going to use a bull rush or whatever. If he's got moves, then he could certainly be a guy who day one can be at least a third down guy, a guy that gets after the quarterback. And with these quarterbacks in the AFC, can't have too many pass rushers. So, Tim, tell us, are, are there a couple of guys in this draft that you just – you didn't really necessarily put them in your mock, but you keep thinking Browns whenever you uh, look at one of these guys. Maybe there's, you know, two of those guys that you can name for us that could be sort of sleepers or sort of surprise picks that 
you can't shake. I'll go a little late day two, early day three with a couple of these guys. First one, I'll go for some offensive line. I'm going Zach Tom, who's an interior alignment from Wake Forest, kind of following my rule of no matter what, no matter what situation your offensive line is in, you always pick one every single year. And I've kind of zeroed in on Tom as my guy. He's a he's 6'4", 304, maybe not a bigger guy, but he is athletic and he is agile. And this is a, this is a stat I brought up at a bunch of times. If you've read my stories, what I'm talking about, guys like Zach Tom, he ran the short shuttle, the combine in 4.47 seconds. May sound innocuous, but Josh Norris of Underdog Fantasy tweeted this a couple months ago, and I keep coming back to this as an interesting fact. He listed all the linemen in the past, you know, 15, 20 years that have ran a 4.4740. And in that group, you're going to find a lot of guys who have started a lot of games in the NFL. Basically, you hit that barometer as an as a, as a lineman, you're going to have some success. And one of those guys actually who is in that range, none other than Joel Batonio. So that seems like a pretty good marker for success. And in this Bill Callahan, you know, offensive line schemes, Kevin Stefanski, you know, wants to run the zone type, zone blocking type of scheme. You need guys who can move. And Zach Tom can move. He's got plenty of movement ability to satisfy the interior line. And I'm going to go receiver here for my second one. I don't know if they would necessarily take two of them, but if they were, I've got a slot receiver for you. Kyle Phillips out of UCLA. He's my guy. He's one of my guys right now. 5'11", 189 pounds. You look at the scouting report, you may be put off by by a lot of people saying he's only a slot guy, but that's where I say, why can't he be an elite slot guy? You look at, I looked at his combine numbers and I tweeted this a couple days ago, looking at his numbers, particularly the three cone and the short shuttle in each of those, they're only hundreds of a second slower than Amari Cooper. And we know Amari Cooper is one of the better route runners in the NFL. Those agility numbers, particularly at six, seven, five, three cone time compare favorably to Hunter Renfro, to Julian Edelman, even to Cooper cup. If he could be anywhere near those guys, That'd be a sensational pick. And I see when I look at those numbers, I see a guy who can separate, who can make guys miss decent speed, obviously not a big guy, sub six foot, but I think, and I was kind of joking about this before, but watching these Kyle Phillips highlights makes me want to watch, made me want to watch some Hunter Renfro and what made him successful. And what he does is he separates, he knows how to turn his body. He knows how to get open and then he can make a guy miss as well. Kyle Phillips has a lot of that in his game. There's one particular play against LSU this past season catches a pass kind of coming across the middle and he he jukes out two guys, including LSU's Derek Stingley, who I think should be a top five pick, certainly a top 10 pick at corner. He he's able to shed him and go in for a big touchdown. I think late in that game, which UCLA ended up winning. He sticks out to me. I mean, maybe he's got more upside than being a slot only receiver, but I think if, if you're the Browns and you're looking for that, I think he's got a chance for some really good success, kind of a nice under the radar type of receiver. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of the guys that you put in your, um, in your seven sleepers to watch in the later round. So obviously if, if I asked you this question and didn't put any restrictions on it, the guy you'd pound the table for would be Kyle Phillips. Let's take him off the table. Let's take Tom off the table. Give me the guy, give me the, the next guy in line, that guy that you think absolutely you would say you've got to figure out a way to get this guy on day three. Um, I get, I, can I give, am I allowed to give one on each side of the football? Go for it. All right. Defense. I'll go defense first. I'm going to go Thomas Booker out of Stanford. These are like day three guys, round five, round six. Booker didn't have a lot of good production at Stanford, but I mean, he's very toolsy. You 
six three, three hundred one pounds, sub five forty for a defensive tackle, seven three three and three cone, which obviously I am very big on the three cone, which I think is still kind of an underrated uh, marker in terms of athletic testing. Powerful, good first step. I think it just comes down to him having productivity questions and the fact that he had a long career at Stanford, but really never flashed consistently is what's going to kind of push him down. But to me, maybe there's something there you can unlock with the right coaching and the right environment alongside him. Certainly playing alongside Miles Garrett can maybe help that. And the other guy, I'm going to go on the other end of the athletic spectrum. Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M. Now, when I looked at the position groups way back at the beginning of the cycle, Jalen Weiermeyer was in discussion for me for the number one tight end in this class. Then at, then the athletic testing happened. Ran the 40 in 5.02 seconds and at a vertical jump of 25 and a half inches. And his, his stock just plummeted to the point where he could be a, where he's suddenly in date round six or whatever. And suddenly he becomes underrated. But I, again, this is the opposite case of Booker where, Great athleticism and limited production versus good production and limited athleticism. Weidermeyer has had 500 plus yards receiving in each of his last two seasons. He, he had a very good game and that upset win against Alabama had some big catches, including a touchdown where the Aggies with a back of a quarterback were able to knock off Alabama. He's there in the sixth round. You're looking for a third tight end. Maybe you, maybe you take a chance on him and see if the athletic testing was just kind of a blip and that the player that, the, that everybody saw on Saturdays, that they had as a second rounder before the athletic testing issues, see which one of those is real. And obviously as a GM, you're hoping that it's the guy that plays on that played on those Saturdays that flashed a lot for the Aggies. All right. I only have one more question and that is about Logan Hall. I've seen him mock to the Browns a fair amount. And uh, I don't know if he's going to last that long, but if he does, what do you think of Logan Hall in general and what do you think about him for the Browns at number 44? I like him. I think he's very unique. And again, it depends where you look, whether you, some people call him an edge rusher. Some people call him a defensive tackle. I call him a tackle because I think he's still got a little frame to grow into that, but he can do both. And I think that's kind of in some, some people think that's a negative. Some people think that's a positive. It kind of depends where you go, but I look at Logan Hall. He's got the length to be a problem for interior linemen, guards and centers, and he's got the power to be a problem for, for, you know, offensive tackles. And again, good speed, sub four, nine 40, good agility, strength, you, you name it. He's got plenty of athletic tools. It's just going to come down to kind of, you know, is the team going to be willing to let him kind of fit multiple roles within the defense? I think it's almost like the Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa question I had a year ago is a team going to be, you know, not going to be afraid of him being a tweener. And then they create a role for him much like they did with JOK a year ago and bank on the traits. And I think Logan Hall kind of fits into that category. He's not the freak athlete that JOK was coming out of Notre Dame, but he's so unique. And when you hear quarterbacks talk and the number one thing they say about pressure, the one place they don't want it to come from is up the middle. If Logan Hall could be an effective interior pass rusher, all of a sudden that changes the look of your defense because pass rush on the outside quarterbacks, some quarterbacks can get around that pass rush up the middle. Not so easy to do. Well, especially when you pair that with miles Garrett and maybe Jadavian Clowney coming around the edges with, with that pressure up the middle. So I'll ask you one more too. Uh, Ashley is not on this podcast. Sometimes she listens. So if she has made it this far, I've got to ask about this guy, Josh Pascal. 
it feels like, so we had Mike Renner on from PFF and he's really high on Pascal. Like he thinks he's one of the best edge rushers in this class. Still, this is a guy that has generally been, I don't know, maybe late second, maybe even middle third round when I've seen some of these mock drafts. What, what are your thoughts on Pascal? And see a guy that if the Browns are at 78, they could either sit there and take him or they could maybe maneuver and, and, and get him somewhere in that range. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I was actually, I'll be honest. I was actually listening to you guys talk to Mike Renner. I was driving to Virginia about a week or two ago. I made sure to listen to that. And I liked what he said about Pascal. You know, there's a lot of intangible things you like about Pascal. The fact that he was a team captain, all those things he kind of battled from throughout his career may not be the most explosive guy, but I think he's a good, he's a, he's one of those defensive ends who can certainly play a pretty balanced game. Like he can handle the run pretty well, as well as get to the quarterback, maybe not at an elite level, but a guy who can do both and maybe be a bit of an edge setter at certain times can certainly be a benefit to your defense. I mean, we saw how effective Javian Clowney was as an edge setter in that defense. He really made it tougher, tougher for teams to get around him because of just how he holds that edge. And it's an underrated part of a defensive end game. So be an interesting prospect to add in. And I've talked about age before. I mean, he's played five years of football at Kentucky, only 22 years old. He's not going to turn 23 until a week or so before Christmas. So fairly young prospect, younger prospect, but with a lot of experience to boot. So it's a pretty good uh, mesh point. And we know Andrew Berry loves his SEC guys. That, that is true. And he has drafted Harrison Bryant was 22 uh, when, when they drafted him. So, so that's right around the top of that age range. Um, that, that we talked about earlier. Okay, Tim Bielik, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Tim Bielik, B-I-E-L-I-K. Tim, in, in the theme of my life, coming up with great, IT, great ideas way too late in the process, as I see your Twitter profile, fan of the Simpsons, you've got to do one of these years, a classic Simpsons line and pair it with a prospect. That's a post. If I, if I had time and it, this was a few weeks ago, I probably would. <laughs> like I said, the ideas I come up with way too late in the process. But uh, we'll, we'll oh, better late than never. I'll have to bookmark that for 2023. I'll try and come <laughs> up with something for uh, even though the Browns are going to be nowhere near needing one of these guys, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Give me a few weeks and I'll kind of come up with that. Maybe they could be the itchy and scratchy of the draft. There you go. See, we, we've got something cooking here. This is, this is good. This is workshopping right here. All right, so give him a follow on Twitter and, of course, all his draft content at cleveland.com slash browns. That's also where you can become a football insider. And if you already are a football insider, you've seen some, some of Tim's work in our newsletter as well. So it's that blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Tim and Mary Kay, it is draft week, so I'm sure I will talk to both of you plenty this week. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later.